Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to Cryptique, where we discuss all things paranormal, the cult, UFOs, metaphysical, hidden history, forbidden archaeology, and all things truth. I'm joined, as always, by a man who'd rather have a BLT than some DMT, Ryan. What's up? Yeah, probably true. I have always been afraid of, like, being totally out of control. Yeah. Because as we were talking about before this, I am built like King Kong Bundy. And I don't know what's going to happen if I start, like, rampaging around or whatever. That's a good point. Although, from what I understand, people on DMT don't do that. But we'll find out. No, my dad, uh, when my dad comes out of anesthesia, he fights every time. Like, he's, like, 74. You know, like, he couldn't, like, beat somebody's ass, really, like a young doctor or something. But they, every time they pull him out, they're like, he jumps up off the table and squares up, ready to go. And I'm like... Give him some more anesthesia. I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very before cool. you cough along up, why don't you tell them what they need to know? Yeah, as always, like, subscribe, share, interact with us however you can. It helps us with... All of the algorithms and AIs across the podcast platforms, YouTube, whatever, Google. Yeah, we seem to be winning that battle thanks to hopefully you guys. You guys. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but if you want to get in touch with us and tell us what you think, make suggestions, you can do that at crypticpodcast.gmail.com. You can see what we're selling at crypticpodcaststore.com and you can help us keep the servers on at buymeacoffee.com slash cryptic.pi We're also taking donations for Ryan to get a green screen if you're sick of looking at his wall. <laughs> and my chair. Oh, the chair's nice. I should at least get a poster. Yeah. Oh, you know what would be cool? Hmm. The poster from X-Files. I want to believe. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, it's settled. What are we talking about tonight, Ryan? We are talking about ayahuasca. Ayahuasca, because fun to say, fun word, yeah, not fun to spell. (laughs) Yeah, it is a psychoactive brew originating from South America, which I guess is a way to refer to it as a brew. (laughs) You got a brew. We'll say Jay refers to it as a brew. So if you you invite you over for a brewski, (laughs) be careful. That's right. Uh, But it originates. It originates from South America and has been traditionally used by indigenous cultures in the Amazon and Orinoco basins for spiritual ceremonies, healing, and divination. Originally confined to regions like Peru, Brazil, Colombia, and Ecuador, it gained global popularity through syncretic religions such as Santa Daime. Daime, is that how you'd say it? Yeah, I think so. And Unoy do vegetal because it's probably uh portuguese we'll go with that that's good hopefully that's the only thing we have to mispronounce this time nope (laughs) (laughs) these religions blend amazonian shamanism with christianity cardicist spiritualism or spiritism is that how they refer to it spiritism spiritism but i think you could uh, i mean it's a tomato tomato okay (laughs) And African-Brazilian traditions. In recent times, ayahuasca has expanded beyond its traditional use. It has moved into urban centers in North America and Europe, giving rise to neo-shamanic rituals and spiritual and recreational drug tourism. 
Yes. Uh, if you've ever listened to the Joe Rogan podcast, they talk about DMT and stuff like that a lot. So it's definitely getting to be fairly popular as just a vacation activity or I don't know if you have more money than sense and you just want to go somewhere and try something weird. Uh, but studies suggest therapeutic potential for ayahuasca in treating substance dependence, anxiety, and mood disorders. While still used traditionally, it is now also consumed recreationally worldwide and explored in modern medicine, which is probably a good thing because it seems like, in my opinion, having read about it, it seems like medicine was very closed off to any sort of like traditional medicine or herbs, plants, treatments, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever was tribal or indigenous Modern medicine kind of was like, yeah, that's probably woo. We don't really need anything like that. We'll just, we'll do our own thing. And now they're starting to kind of come around to it, which is good. Because I know I have uh, Cherokee ancestry way back. can totally like, tell. Right. You can <laughs> totally tell. Uh, but my, my dad told me that his grandma could cure like anything. Yeah. Yeah. I remember so you if you were sick at all. Yeah, he was like, if if you had a cold, like whatever you had, she would just go off into like the woods behind the house, come back with some plants, make something up. You'd be better by the next day. He's like, I don't know why I never thought to write any of that stuff down. Well, Ryan, before we go ahead with that, two things the listeners should know. First off, aspirin is obtained from the bark of a certain tree in Brazil. And obviously, probably everybody listening has taken an aspirin at some point. Science has no fucking idea how it works. They're just like, eh, it works. Now, here's the thing. How does uh, Pfizer or Moderna or any of these fucking evil companies monopolize and basically rape this drug that's being used to you know, not just cure things, but to have experiences. And then how do they package that and sell it to us? Because it's going to be like, even these places where they're like, oh, it's decriminalized, you know, like Upper Peninsula, Michigan. Well, guess what? Moderna gets a hold of it. Oh, it's illegal everywhere now. It's going to be a big deal if you get caught with uh, making ayahuasca or DMT. Once they have a say in it, you're going to prison. Just throwing that out there. All right, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) All right, ayahuasca is typically made by decocting Benisteriopsis copy vine (laughs) and Psychotria viridis shrub leaves. P. viridis contains psychedelic substance uh, DMT, while B. copy has harmala alkaloids acting as a monoamina monoamine oxidase inhibitor maoi people know maoi i think i don't think they know yeah, it either. let's just leave it like that okay. so people can see me struggling you rescue me like that uh <laughs> this substance allows the dmt to actually reach your brain the term ayahuasca is of keshwan origin yep. mm-hmm. with aya meaning spirit or corpse and waska meaning rope or woody vine. In the user's Cosmovision, Cosmovision? Yeah. It represents the vine allowing the spirit to wander, detach from the body. So is this like the spirit cord? 
Is that how you're interpreting that? Like that tether, the silver cord that people talk about in out-of-body experiences? So the, the cosmovision is also synonymous with cosmology in the collection of worldviews shared by the indigenous pre-Columbian societies of Mesoamerica. I, I think when they say in the users, they're not saying if Ryan uses it, this, they're saying that people that practice using it all the time or, or frequently or whatever. So if that makes sense. Sure. Uh, despite being a widely used term, this is known by various names in Northern South America. Additionally, which is a confusing thing to say, Northern South America. Yeah. Additionally, new terms like Anahuasca, Farmawaska, I'm sure there are probably others, but have emerged addressing ayahuasca-like substances created without traditional botanical species. Because I think it's important to note that like you maybe a little cynically we're talking about, there are companies replicating this mm -hmm. for different purposes. In a lot of cases, it really is to give you like a commercial packaged ayahuasca experience without that sort of natural ingredients. So they really, they do have like a distilled like GMO version of ayahuasca that they're <laughs> going to give you. Yes. Uh, and That's these awesome. terms are, Sometimes controversial involving issues like patents, commodification, and biopiracy. Yep. Everybody's got to get their hands in on the money, Ryan. All right. Yeah. You want to get into the history while I drink some refreshing Diet Pepsi Ayahuasca. that nobody wanted for Christmas? <laughs> no. All right. Archaeological roots. Evidence of psychoactive plant use in the northeastern Amazon dates back to around 1500 to 2000 BC. Artifacts like anthropomorphic figurines, snuffing trays, and pottery vessels adorned with mythological figures offer insights into the pre-Columbian culture's use of the sacred plants. While botanical specimens like tobacco and cocaine were identified, Unequivocal evidence linking directly to ayahuasca or bee copy use is limited. Notable findings include a pouch with harm, harmine or harmine and DMT traces in Bolivia and harmine traces in mummies in northern Chile, both associated with the Tiwanaku people. Despite claims by anthropologists like Plutarco Naranjo, which is a Pretty great name. Mm -hmm. Concrete evidence substantiating pre-Columban ayahuasca consumption remains elusive. As Dennis McKenna notes, the practice was widespread among indigenous tribes in the Amazon basin by the mid-19th century when it came to Western ethnographers' attention. The first Western references to the ayahuasca beverage, because that's more of what I've heard it referred to as rather than a brew, uh, date back to the 17th century during European colonization. Vincent de Valverde's letter to the Holy Office of the Inquisition and Jose Chantre y Herrera's 17th century description detail a devilish potion used in divination rituals. Chantre y Rivera explains the preparation of a potent brew from bitter vines or herbs, referred to as ayahuasca, emphasizing its effectiveness in altering one's senses during divination ceremonies. In 1737, missionary Pablo Moroni reported the use of a psychoactive 
uh, Liana called ayahuasca for divination in the Napo River in Ecuador. These early Western accounts mark the beginning of the West's awareness of the ayahuasca tradition. And also it seems like that it's sort of seemingly widespread yeah. by this time. Like it's a fairly normal thing, even if it maybe is referred to a little bit differently. It's used for purposes of divination. And I think even today when it's done in a traditional way, it's like a guided experience. Yeah. Which is again, something that's missing when you try to manufacture it Pharma-wasca. out of artificial sources. Yeah. Pharmawaska or, like I said, I'm sure if I looked it up on Urban Dictionary, I'd find more, but they'd probably be <laughs> horrific. Yes. In historical accounts, a beverage for divination was used, crafted from white datura flowers, also known as campana due to their shape, and a vine called ayahuasca, both substances potent enough to numb the senses and even pose a risk of fatality in excess, were occasionally employed for treating common ailments, particularly headaches. Well, well, that sounds like what we see today, right? Do you have a headache? Try this drug. May cause your legs to fall off. You could have AFib. You could grow gills. You know, like, eh, I just have a headache. I think I'm just going to wait this out. <laughs> to initiate divination, individuals consume the chosen substance through specific rituals. While the plant's strength could be harmful, they safeguarded themselves by depriving their senses from the mouth downwards. Mm. This state persisted for many hours, sometimes even two or three days until the effects waned and the intoxication subsided. Following this, they contemplated the revelations of their imagination, occasionally marked by lingering delirium, considering it an accomplished oracle. Subsequent reports, such as Juan Manning's account in 1740, detailed the, the Heverone people's use of ayahuasca as a medicinal plant referred to as ayahuasca. Similarly, Franz Xavier Bagel's 1768 report documented various dangerous plants, including a bitter liana employed for precognition and sorcery. These reports emerged in the context of Jesuit missions in South America, particularly in the Mina missions. However, they were written in Latin, sent exclusively to Rome, and thus had a limited audience, leading them to be overlooked in archives. So, as a result, ayahuasca didn't garner significant interest for the ensuing century. What about yeah. the academics, Ryan? In the realm of academic discourse, the earliest reference to ayahuasca can be traced back to Manuel Villavencio's oh, man, so oh. 1848 book, Geographia, whatever, Geography of the Republic of, of Ecuador, but in not English. Uh, this comprehensive work intricately details the utilization of rituals involving ayahuasca by the Hivaro people. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Simultaneously, in 1852, Richard Spruce embarked on an expedition in the Amazon documenting previously unidentified botanical specimens. During this expedition, Spruce encountered and documented uh, Banisteriopsis copy, which we've already talked about, uh, and observed ayahuasca ceremonies among the Tacano community along the Vuapas River. Spruce further uncovered the usage and cultivation of this plant among various indigenous groups across the Amazon 
and Orinoco Basins. These encounters, coupled with Spruce's personal ayahuasca experiences, were compiled in his 1873 work. So this guy was doing ayahuasca in 1873 and writing about it. Mm-hmm. He would have totally had a podcast today. Totally. Uh, but the work was titled Notes of a Botanist on the Amazon and Andes. Could have done better with the title. Yeah. Like, how he's about really under- psychedelic ayahuasca <laughs> trips on paper, baby? <laughs> yeah, he's definitely underselling it. Yeah. By the close of the century, other explorers and anthropologists added to the documentation of ayahuasca. Notably, Theodore Koch Grunberg's accounts of Tucano and Aracuna rituals and ceremonies, Stradelli's firsthand reports on ayahuasca rituals and mythology, along with Jarapari and Vuapes, and Alfred Simpson's initial description of the admixture of several ingredients in the making of ayahuasca in the Putumayo region, which was published in 1886. Respectively. In 1905... Rafael Zerdebayan, or Bayun, probably Bayun, given yeah. the little accent mark, mm-hmm. identified the active extract of ayahuasca as telepathine, a name later used by Colombian chemist Guillermo Fisher Cardenas when he isolated the substance in 1932. I would totally take something called telepathine. If I walked into like CVS and saw that bottle, I think I would have to get that. Grab it. Fuck it. Who cares if your receipt's six foot long? <laughs> Concurrently, Lewin and Gunn independently studied benesterine, uh, extracted from that bee copy plant we keep talking about and butchering the name of, and its effects on animal models. Clinical trials explored the impact of this on Parkinson's disease. Eventually, it was revealed that both telepathine and benasterine are identical to a chemical already isolated from Paganum harmala named harmine, which we've, again, kind of touched on earlier. But we're going, we're going back through the academic part of it, so. Yeah, I mean, you don't need to remember what all these substances are for this to make sense to you. You don't have to remember that, oh, they were talking about, you know, B copy and stuff like that. But it, it is important because we're tr- we're having people now that are trying to figure out exactly what it is that's causing this. So, right, and what it can be used for. Yeah. Like treating Parkinson's. Yeah, man, that would be amazing. I mean, uh, Parkinson's is awful. It's awful. Mm -hmm. And it would be just like the Amazon rainforest to provide something to fix that problem. All right. Well, we'll talk about some development theories after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Shamanism, Mestizos, and Vegetalistas. The development of ayahuasca use, it's a blend of cultures and contexts. Researchers such as Peter Gao and Brabeck de Mori proposed that the use of ayahuasca evolved in conjunction with Jesuit missions after the 17th century. Through an examination of Icaros, or ayahuasca-related healing chants, they observe that these chants consistently use Quechua, a language prevalent along Jesuit and Franciscan missions. This linguistic uniformity persists across different groups, indicating similarities in language structures distinct from other indigenous songs. 
So they're using a special language in in these songs that's kind of uncommon and it's not used in other you know celebrations or songs it's it's only used in this ayahuasca ceremony furthermore the cosmology of ayahuasca often mirrors catholicism drawing parallels in the belief that ayahuasca symbolizes the body of ayahuasca mama akin to the christian eucharist where wine and bread represent the body and blood of jesus Brebeck de Mori termed this phenomenon Christian camouflage, suggesting that the practice didn't adopt Christian elements for disguise, but evolved within these religious contexts. The development of ayahuasca use is deeply entwined with colonial processes in the Western Amazon over the past 300 years. Indigenous groups sought refuge in missions to escape death, slavery, intertribal violence, starvation, and disease promoted by bandieras. This movement led to intense cultural exchanges and the emergence of mestizos or caboclos, individuals of mixed European and native ancestry who played a vital role in the region's economy and culture. And we're not trying to say any slurs or anything like that. So if you find mestizos or caboclos offensive, sorry, that's how it was presented. Peter Gao posits that ayahuasca shamanism involving the use of ayahuasca by trained shamans for diagnosis and healing emerged during these colonial transformations, particularly among mestizos. The Amazon rubber cycles from 1879 to 1912 and 1945 accelerated these changes, marked by slavery, genocide against indigenous populations, and large migratory movements, particularly from the Brazilian Northeast region. These practices of mestizos became intertwined with the culture of rubber workers known as cuacheros or serengueros. Ayahuasca use with therapeutic goals emerged as a result of this transcultural diffusion, with cuacheros being credited for using ayahuasca to cure various ailments, even leading to its moniker as yerba de cuachero, or rubber worker herb. Consequently, ayahuasca shamans in urban areas and mestizo settlements, particularly in regions like Iquitos and Pucalapa in Peru, evolved into vegetalistas, folk healers whose knowledge is derived from plants and the associated spirits. And vegetalistas, that's kind of a cool name, right? Sounds a lot less scary to people coming in from Europe than witch doctor or even shaman. So the vegetalist movement represents a heterogeneous blend of Western Amazonian practices, mestizo shamanism and cuachero culture and Andean elements influenced by various migratory movements. Christian aspects derived from Jesuit missions are evident in the mythology, rituals, and moral codes associated with the vegetalista ayahuasca use. All right, on to some more fun stuff. You want to tell us about some of these ayahuasca religions? Sure. While mestizo, vegetalista, and indigenous ayahuasca use trace back to a long-standing tradition, the configurations of vegetizo, vegetal, vegetalismo witnessed in the late 19th century were not isolated phenomena. The period saw the emergence of messianic and millennialist cults in semi-urban areas across the entire Amazon region. 
These cults blended elements of indigenous and mestizo folk culture with Catholicism, Spiritism, and Protestantism. Within this context, the use of ayahuasca transformed into organized, non-indigenous religions in the outskirts of major cities in northwest Brazil, along the basins of the Madeira, Hirua, and Purus River. This cultural complex rooted in the Cauchero, so whatever, rooted in the rubber-working traditions, adapted and redefined both Vegetalista and Mestizo shamanism to suit new urban formations. As referenced by scholars Goulart and Labat, respectively, emerged as three main structured religions. These religions, despite sharing the utilization of ayahuasca, exhibit distinct characteristics in their practices, beliefs, and processes for establishing social legitimacy and relationships with the Brazilian government, media, science, and society at large. Often led by charismatic, messianic, and prophetic figures known as ayahuasqueros, originated from rural areas due to migration movements. They flourished in semi-urban communities across the borders of Brazil, Bolivia, and Peru, eventually forming the state of Acre. Since the latter half of the 20th century, these ayahuasca religions expanded beyond Brazil and gained a global presence, notably in the Western world. The Santo Daima, Barquina, and Unal de Vegetal, which we said at the top of the show, but I didn't want to repeat, have become influential entities, each with its unique characteristics and global outreach. Tell us tell us about modern day stuff. All right. The exploration of ayahuasca transcended academic realms, making its mark in literary and pop culture. In the early 1950s, beat writer William S. Burroughs, inspired by a paper from Richard Evans Schultz, sought out ayahuasca during his travels in South America with hopes of finding relief or a cure for opiate addiction, an experience detailed in the Yage letters, uh, Y-A-G-E, I'm assuming Yage, it could be Yaj, Yaj. Uh, it, it's hard to know because we're dealing with, you know, English, uh, Portuguese, French, Spanish, so. Latin. Yeah, we're doing our best. The McKenna brothers, particularly Dennis, played a significant role in popularizing ayahuasca. Their exploration in the Amazon was documented in true hallucinations. That sounds like something I might have to pick up. Dennis McKenna later delved into the scientific study of ayahuasca, focusing on its pharmacology, botany, and chemistry, which became the subject of his master's thesis. What a fun topic. (laughs) Richard Evans Schultz, a pivotal figure in the study of ethnobotany, allowed Claudio Naranjo to embark on a special journey up the Amazon River to study ayahuasca with South American Indians. Naranjo's expedition resulted in the first scientific description of the effects of ayahuasca's active alkaloids. In more recent times, the brews gained further recognition through the works of various authors and public figures. Wade Davis in One River, Martin Goodman in I Was Carlos Castaneda, Isabel Alande, Kira Salek, Jeremy Narby with The Cosmic Serpent, Jay Griffiths in Wild and Elemental Journey, Stephen Peck, Robin Quivers of the uh, Howard Stern Show, Paul Thoreau <laughs> in Figures in a Landscape, People and Places, 
and my boy, NFL quarterback Aaron Rodgers, have all contributed to the popularization of ayahuasca through their writings and experiences. I just want to take a break on Aaron Rodgers here real quick. Now, this guy is one of the best quarterbacks ever, for sure. You know, top 10, top 15, whatever. He's up there. And he... I guess started dating uh, Deja Blue, who is, uh, I don't know a lot about her. I know she's very spiritual. She has her own podcast. And I guess she convinced him like, hey, let's go do this. And he did it. And, you know, he had his experience. And like when he came back to the NFL, he just wasn't as good. And now we're talking about somebody who's 37, 38, you know, getting up there and people are just dogging the shit out of this guy. Like, oh yeah, you fucked up your whole NFL career and, and you, and it's like, dude, if this guy is happy, let him be happy. I mean, he played football for 15 years with you guys watching him all the time. And maybe he's like, you know what? Football isn't the most important thing in the world. And now everybody is just dogging him. And it's like, let the man be happy. If you haven't done this, then don't judge it. Anyway, rant over. These diverse perspectives from literature and public figures have played a crucial role in bringing the mystical and transformative qualities of ayahuasca to a broader audience, shaping its cultural perception beyond scientific and academic circles. All right. You are the uh, brewmaster. Tell us how we do it, and I'll be right back. All right. So the creation of ayahuasca uh, involves a meticulous and ritualistic process. Various plant ingredients, notably sections of Banisteriopsis copy vine, are macerated and boiled. Additional plants like Psychotria viridis, Shalaponga, Chakropanga and Mimosa Tenuflora, which I'm sure if you went into a chemist and asked for them, by the way, I'm saying them, you would not get this stuff. But among others, these ingredients may be included, leading to a diverse array of brew compositions that can vary between shamans. And I would guess probably somewhat between cultures and locations, if it can vary by the shamans themselves. The key psychoactive components of ayahuasca are dimethyltryptamine, or DMT, and harmala alkaloids, specifically monoamine oxidase inhibitors. These harmala alkaloids are crucial for making DMT orally active by enabling its processing in the liver. The traditional preparation of ayahuasca involves a ritual. At sunrise, the user must pick the lower chacruna leaf. Accompanied by a prayer, which I've... Tell us the prayer, Ryan. You know I mean, there's it. A lot of, there's <laughs> a lot of words in here I've never said before. No, I do not know. Uh, the Banisteriopsis copy vine is then meticulously cleaned with wooden spoons and pounded with wooden mallets until it turns into fiber. While Psychotria viridis is a common ingredient for its DMT content, other plants such as Justitia pectoralis Brugmansia or sacred tobacco or mapacho mm -hmm. may replace or complement it. 
so I guess it's pick your poison. Which source of DMT do you want to use? Uh, the brew's potency and psychoactive effects can vary widely between batches, influenced by the shaman's skill, additional admixtures, and the intent of the ceremony. That's natural that's, variation. That's what scares me, right? Like when you, if you're going to the Amazon, you're like, I want to experience, uh, you know, DMT or ayahuasca. Don't skimp on the shaman, right? Like there's <laughs> things you don't skimp on, right? You don't skimp on the shaman. You want somebody that's got it down pat. You want like some dude that's 175 years old and, you know, has been doing it, you know, for six lifetimes. So. Yeah. Natural variations in plant alkaloid content also contribute to the complexity of the brew. The actual brewing process is a time intensive practice, often spanning multiple days. Each plant material is separately added to a large pot of water and boiled until the liquid is reduced by half. These individual brews are then combined and further reduced. The resulting concentrated brew is what participants consume during the ceremonies. This intricate and intentional preparation is not just a culinary process. It is a spiritual and cultural ritual that reflects the connections between the natural world and human experience. For sure. I've seen the rituals and, and we're not going to get a whole lot into it, I don't think, but it's an experience where what you end up drinking is out of like a dirty ass 300 year old wooden bowl that's had, yeah. you know, thousands of lips on it throughout its lifetime. And it looks like something you wouldn't set foot in if it was a river. You know what I mean? It's just, it's like gray and just nasty. And so just be prepared for that when you go on your spiritual journey. All right, we'll tell you about the ceremony and the role of shamans after a quick break. Welcome back, Trip Keepers, shamans, coranderos, and experienced users of ayahuasca strongly advise against consuming the brew without the presence of well-trained shamans. Sound advice. In some regions, individuals posing as shamans, often referred to as brujos or witches, attract tourists to drink ayahuasca with potentially nefarious intentions, such as stealing one's energy or power, believed to be limited. And or their wallet. Yeah, well, well they're, I mean, while they're tripping out on the ground, steal their li- wallet. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, this is the deal, right? Like I tell my my older daughter, I'm like, listen, I don't want you to smoke pot. But if you do, make sure that it comes from a dispensary. I don't want you, you know, at a party somewhere, you know, take a bong rip and it's got fentanyl in it. Mm-hmm. The same kind of thing I think could happen here because this is very powerful and if you're just doing this to screw people, you're not really going to care about how much of each ingredient is in and stuff like that. You just want their money and to get them fucked up. So you could put whatever in there and you know, that's their experience. So yeah, don't skimp on the shaman. That should be a t-shirt. Don't skimp on the shaman. Yeah. 
During the ayahuasca ceremonies, genuine shamans guide the ceremonial consumption, which typically spans the entire night. Participants are instructed to abstain from spicy foods, red meat, and sex before the ceremony. The effects of the drink lasting for hours are accompanied by purging involving vomiting and diarrhea. It is unpleasant. Purging is seen as a cathartic process, releasing built-up emotions and negative energy. The Shipibo Kanibo community is regarded as one of the earliest practitioners of ayahuasca ceremonies, dating their connection to the brew and associated rituals back centuries, possibly a millennia. Some members of the Shipibo community have expressed concerns about the mainstreaming of ayahuasca, viewing it as commercialization. Can't blame them. They worry that the contemporary ayahuasca ceremonies might be seen as substitutes for former cosmogonical rituals that are no longer practiced. As ayahuasca gains popularity, these perspectives highlight the challenges and potential consequences of its increasing commercialization and cultural yeah. diffusion. Tell us about the Akaros. All right. The Shipibo people, practitioners of ayahuasca ceremonies that you were just talking about, communicate in their own language known as Shipibo. Shipibo is spoken by around 26,000 people in Peru and Brazil. During ayahuasca rituals, the shaman often utilizes this language in the form of a chant called a Nicaro. The Nicaro serves as a unique form of communication during the ritual believed to establish a balance of energy. It is not merely a linguistic expression, but is considered a powerful tool to protect and guide individuals through their ayahuasca experiences. The rhythmic and melodic qualities of the Akaro are thought to enhance the spiritual journey and contribute to the overall transformative nature of the ceremony. The incorporation of Shipibo language in these chants adds a distinctive cultural and linguistic dimension to the spiritual practices of the Shipibo community during these rituals. Traditional ayahuasca brews are usually made with the B copy as an MAOI, while dimethyltryptyline sources and other admixtures vary from region to region. There's several varieties of copy, often known as different colors with varying effects, potencies, and uses. Ayahuasca, a psychoactive brew with deep cultural roots, is composed of various plants, each believed to contribute specific qualities to the ceremonial experience. Ayahuma bark, derived from the cannonball tree, it offers protection and aids in healing susto, a condition related to soul loss from spiritual fright or trauma. Caperona bark, known for its smooth bark, white flowers, and hard wood, it provides cleansing, balance, and protection. Chula Chaki Caspi Bark, used to cleanse the physical body and transcend physical ailments. Lapuna Blanca Bark, provides protection. Punga Amaria Bark, offers protection and is used to pull or draw out negative spirits or energies. Remo Caspi Bark, from the Aura Tree, utilized to move dense or dark energies. Wyra Caspi Bark, known as the Air Tree, it is used to create purging, transcend gastrointestinal ailments, calm the mind, and bring tranquility. Uh, I might have them leave that out of my brew. (laughs) All right. Shiwawaku Bark introduces purple medicine to the ceremony. So I don't know what that means. Is that like purple drink? Yes. Purple Kool-Aid? Sipping on some scissor. Uchu Sanango, derived from the head of the Sanango plants. Huaca Puriana. Ooh. Nailed that shit. 
Yeah, I guess I did. That's good enough for me. Obtained from the giant tree of the Amazon with a very hard bark. Not not terribly specific, but maybe they don't want us to know where all this stuff comes from. Yeah, well, yeah, true. Bob's in Anna. Probably Bob's in Anna. Bob and Sana. Linked to the mermaid spirit. It facilitates major heart chakra opening and healing of emotions and relationships. In the late 20th century, ayahuasca drinking expanded globally, reaching Europe and North America. Ayahuasca churches, initially affiliated with the Brazilian Santo Daima, emerged in the Netherlands. Legal challenges arose, testing the right of religious freedom in using ayahuasca because, again, can be kind of risky using a drug like this. Uh, the spread of non-religious approaches to ayahuasca use followed, showcasing diverse styles and applications beyond traditional contexts. And as we talked about before, there are some equivalents or alternatives to ayahuasca. You want to get into those? Yeah, they're not quite as... Uh, they don't require such a commitment. Let's put it that way. I mean, if you're going to go on an ayahuasca trip in South America, first you have to get there, but then you're looking at like a two or three day ordeal. Yeah. In contemporary Europe and North America, ayahuasca analogs are crafted using unconventional plants containing similar alkaloids. Examples include using Syrian rue seeds as a substitute for the ayahuasca vine and mimosa hostels rich in DMT in lieu of chacruna. Australia explores indigenous plants like various DMT-rich acacia species and its modern ayahuasca practices. The term ayahuasca specifically denotes a botanical decoction featuring bee copy. A synthetic variant known as pharmawasca combines a suitable MAOI and it typically uh, contains a lot of DMT. Here, DMT is primarily recognized as the psychoactive ingredient, while the MAOI preserves the psychoactivity of orally ingested DMT, safeguarding it from gut degradation. And I guess what that means is it, it doesn't let your stomach acid eat it all up before it gets into your bloodstream. Yeah. In traditional Amazonian cultures, the bee copy vine is revered as the spirit of ayahuasca, serving as the guide and gatekeeper to otherworldly realms and dmt is used a lot here in the states and we have been in contact with a man who has i don't know if he's made his own but i know he's he's done it quite a few times and he's going to share his experience with us and we're going to pair that at the end of this episode i'm not sure if it's going to be on this video or if it'll be released as a separate video or podcast we'll we'll have to see how that goes but how does ayahuasca affect the mind after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Ryan, tell them about the well, psychological effects of ayahuasca. Yeah, the mind and the body. So vomiting, like we've talked a little bit about, can occur after ingesting ayahuasca, posing potential harm to individuals with conditions like esophagus fissures, gastric ulcers, or even early stages of pregnancy. Many shamans and experienced users view vomiting as a purging mechanism representing the release of accumulated negative energy and emotions, which I know you said before, but it's it's a feature, not a bug. Right. You're supposed to do it. Yeah. Others may experience purging through diarrhea, 
and hot and gold flashes. So you're just laying out there in the woods, puking, shitting, hot and mm-hmm. gold. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Ayahuasca ingestion may induce significant, albeit temporary, emotional and psychological distress. Individuals with a history of psychiatric disorders face a heightened risk of persisting effects post-session. Excessive use may, in rare cases, lead to serotonin syndrome, although it's not a common occurrence. Temporary non-ethnogenic effects can include tremors, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and other symptoms primarily attributed to harmala alkaloids. Long-term negative effects, however, are not particularly well documented, which is not the most comforting thing I've ever read. (laughs) A few reported deaths linked to ayahuasca consumption might be associated with pre-existing conditions, drug interactions, or improper use, or improper probably being improper preparation or unguided use. Factors include cardiovascular conditions, interaction with medications such as like antidepressants, Recreational drugs, caffeine, nicotine, or irresponsible usage due to behavioral risks, or potential drug interactions, which we said drug interactions a bunch of times. Yeah, I think that's important, though, because so many people, like, we're not advocating for this. This is something that you guys, you, this is training wheels episode, right? We're telling you kind of a broad background on this. And we're trying, we're efforting a shaman, uh, multiple shamans to come on the show, but uh, they've been hard to reach in the Amazon rainforest. So yeah, they're on great cell service there. Yeah. Are you want to get into the psychological stuff? Yes. Individuals who consume ayahuasca often report having mystical experiences and spiritual revelations, gaining insights into their purpose on earth the true nature of the universe, and a deep understanding of how to become their best selves. Many describe therapeutic effects, particularly in relation to depression and personal traumas. The encounters are often perceived as a spiritual awakening akin to a near-death experience or rebirth. People may feel they access higher spiritual dimensions and contact spiritual or extra-dimensional beings who act as guides or healers. This is extremely common and... Uh It is interesting because the descriptions are all very similar. Yeah. And I was listening to uh, multiple podcasts on it where they had people on. And apparently there's like these 10 foot tall blue or green skinny figures that are reported all the time that kind of walk with uh, these experiencers, if you will. Cultural influences shape the interpretation of ayahuasca experiences. Westerners may describe them using psychological terms like ego death and interpret hallucinations as repressed memories or metaphors of mental states. In contrast, individuals from areas like Iquitos, Peru, may describe experiences in terms of bodily actions and see visions as reflections of their environment, including interaction with spirits. Recent research indicates that ayahuasca interacts with the visual cortex of the brain, activating a complex network of vision and memory. Even with closed eyes, the cortex remains highly active under the influence of ayahuasca and DMT, heightening the internal reality of the participants. Proponents claim that consuming ayahuasca can lead to profound positive life changes, as suggested by author Don Jose Campos and others. What about the potential therapeutic effects 
<laughs> well, research suggests potential antidepressant and anti-anxiety effects from ayahuasca. In a small placebo control trial in 2018, a dose of ayahuasca significantly reduced symptoms of treatment-resistant depression. The reductions in depressive scores were statistically significant, reaching up to 82% between baseline and 1, 7, and 21 days after ayahuasca administration, as measured on various depression rating scales. That's strong. That's strong. Yeah, placebo. Placebo-controlled studies have also indicated that ayahuasca may improve self-perceptions in individuals with social anxiety disorder. Additionally, ayahuasca has been explored for its effectiveness in treating addictions. Users of ayahuasca have shown lower addiction severity index scores compared to controls, and they have been observed to consume less alcohol. These findings suggest a potential therapeutic role for ayahuasca mental health, but it's important to note that more research is needed, and the use of ayahuasca should be approached with caution and under appropriate guidance. Don't skimp on the shaman. Yeah, don't skimp on the shaman. Totally. All right, so let's talk about some legal issues. Because, you know, while we're putting this out there, you should know that most likely where you live, if you're in the United States at least, it's illegal. And... It is a uh, schedule one drug, which is kind of a big deal, right? You would think so. So ayahuasca, the psychoactive brew containing DMT is subject to various legal regulations worldwide. DMT is classified as a schedule one drug under the convention on psychotropic substances. However, the plants containing DMT, such as those used in ayahuasca are not subject to international control. According to the convention. While the International Narcotics Control Board, which will henceforth be referred to as INCB, affirmed in 2001 that ayahuasca is not subject to international control, its 2010 annual report recommended that governments consider controlling ayahuasca at the national level. This recommendation has been criticized for potentially violating religious freedom. What about here in the good old U.S. of A.? <laughs> Uh, DMT, as you mentioned before, is a Schedule One drug in the U.S., meaning only people like Baby Boy Hunter get to have it. Right. However, certain religious groups, such as uh, well, the ones that we've talked about, the three main ones, have been legally permitted to consume ayahuasca for religious purposes. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled in favor of the religious use of ayahuasca under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So I guess that's kind of similar to how in the Catholic church, like a kid can have a little bit of wine for mm -hmm. communion. If it's a ceremonial thing. I mean, I'm not saying that ayahuasca is at all comparable to alcohol, but <laughs> you've been some rules. Yeah, it makes, it makes sense. Uh, do you want to just rattle these off? Sure. In Canada, the Santo Daimi church, which I'm sure I'm saying wrong, but I'm just sticking with it. Uh, Q de Montreal in Canada received religious exemption in 2017 to use it as a sacrament in their rituals. In Brazil, religious use of ayahuasca was legalized after official inquiries in the mid-1980s recognized its valid spiritual uses. In France, the Santo D won a court case in 2005 allowing them to use ayahuasca. However, the common ingredients of ayahuasca were later declared narcotic schedule one substances making the tea and its ingredients illegal. In some U.S. cities, such as Oakland, Santa Cruz, and Ann Arbor, Michigan, natural entheogens 
including those found in ayahuasca, have been decriminalized. This means that the enforcement of criminal penalties for their use and possession has been ended. It's important to note that the legal status of ayahuasca can vary widely from country to country and is subject to change. So we are not telling you that this information that we just shared is accurate as of the day that you're listening to this. So if you're in Ann Arbor and yeah. you're like, fuck it, let's go do some DMT. Cryptique said it was okay. No, no, that's not what we're saying. First call shaman. Yes. Then check your local laws. All right. Final thoughts after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Ryan, do you have anything you want to say on what we've discussed? Uh, I would just say that the thing I find most interesting about it is what you said earlier, that so many people who've done it experience the same thing, mm -hmm. including this uh, the spirit of DMT or whatever, which I don't know if it's the same thing that I've heard about and read about before, but there's like this guardian mm -hmm. You can kind of get to a certain point where I guess it's probably hard to describe if you've been through one of these trips and you're trying to tell people who haven't, and I, I haven't, but they talk about that you can kind of explore so far in this sort of realm before you get to this being that is supposed to prevent you from going too far, mm -hmm. like from seeing too much or whatever. And I've heard about this from a ton of different sources and they all kind of claim it's the same thing. Like they all describe it in a similar way as like having all these eyes and I don't know, almost like a biblically accurate angel. Yeah. If you guys have seen that meme going around. Um, but yeah, it's like, we know that certain substances have a psychological impact on us. But if you and I, drank together or did whatever kind of if we smoked pot together or whatever we're not going to have exactly the same experience not to say that those necessarily make you hallucinate but you're not going to feel exactly the same thing you're not going to have all these commonalities but so many people do with this and even with things like lsd you don't necessarily experience the same thing like you seem to experience something that is personally transformative again personally for you mm -hmm. With DMT, there are, there are aspects of it that are universal, which kind of suggests that it's there's more substance to what you're experiencing than it just being all mental. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's a chore to get to. You know, it's one thing to enjoy a, a, a glass of scotch. It's one mm -hmm. thing to, you know, swing by a dispensary and grab a pre-roll. But when you have to fucking take like a few days to do something. It's a commitment. Um, yeah. I don't think that I would really want to do ayahuasca. I, I would consider trying DMT, but I'm also worried about exactly what does it interact with, right? Like it, 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 because they haven't done enough studies. It could be like, oh, well, yeah, you're, you're good. Let's do this. And then they're like, oh, you didn't tell me you were on a blood thinner. <laughs> you're going to bleed out everywhere, you know, something like that. So yeah. it, it is a little scary. DMT 
is interesting because a lot of people claim that when you see your life flash before your eyes, uh, you know, in a near-death experience, that what you're experiencing is a, a huge DMT dump. Like your brain, well, we have it, we produce it in our brain. And it's something that I think it, it kind of increases when you sleep. It builds up a little yeah. bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, the serotonin thing, that's scary as fuck, man. Serotonin syndrome, I, I believe that's just where you just constantly in pain and nothing can really like fix it. You only have so much serotonin, right? You can take stuff that reduces its reuptake in your body, hence selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, which I'm sure everybody's heard before. But if you do too much of it, you lose that feeling that you get from something good. I know that's a terrible way to explain it, but you miss the serotonin dump when you do something nice for somebody. You miss the serotonin when you have a candy bar. You miss the serotonin when, you know, you are in a loving relationship and you, you hold your child. Right. So that's, that's scary. That's not something I want to mess with. DMT. Yeah. (laughs) We'll find out on the, on the uh, episode when um, our buddy comes on. I would, I would try ayahuasca, but I don't know who I would bring with me. Mm. Like there's an episode of expedition unknown where Josh Gates does it. Does Oh, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. And he talks about like, there's, he's like, I, he explains, he's like, I send everybody away except this one camera guy. He's like, there's one guy who has been with me since like I started my career on TV. He's like, that is the one guy that gets to come with. If I'm going to be vomiting and having diarrhea in the middle of the woods, that's the one guy that gets to come. Oh, man, you drew the short straw, buddy. You thought you had it made. (laughs) Josh Gates, personal cameraman. Now you got to fucking spray him off with a hose and drag him back to the (laughs) village. (laughs) Yeah, well, you got to have somebody you trust. Got to, man. Yeah, I don't know, man. It just seems like a lot. I feel like you could just do DMT and, you know, get something similar. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know. I hate to say it like this, but like DMT is maybe like doing a line of Coke and ayahuasca is like smoking a basketball sized crack rock. You know what I mean? Like, it's just different, man. It's just different. So. All right. Well, like I said, we'll have an interview coming soon with a man who has used DMT multiple times, and he's going to give us a firsthand account. Uh, Real likable guy. Nice guy. Uh, He was on our zombie road tour, so you might recognize him from that. I'm not sure if he's going to show his face or not, so we'll we'll see. But uh, that's all we've got for you tonight on Cryptique. Please like, subscribe, and share. Socials are in the notes. You can let us know what you crypticpodcast at gmail.com you can find our cool stuff at crypticpodcaststore.com don't skimp on the shaman t-shirt is forthcoming and you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash crypticpi help us keep the lights on you can see behind me how cold it is here this is our headquarters behind me everything (laughs) is frozen over yep 
And remember, in the alchemy of shamanic insight, the mind transforms, shedding old skins to reveal the luminous core of our inner nature. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. Boom.